Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to a Red Shirt Friday edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it to Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do and we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America, continuing to seek solution providers. No better solution provider that I know of than Lyons County, the best herself, Angel Cushing. That's Lyon County, Kansas, by the way. How have you been, Angel? Doing good. I've been doing good. Um, busy. Same. Very, very busy. Oh, I got a message this morning that we have our 43rd county. Saline County. Saline County. Yep. Yes, indeed. The 43 counties out of 49 counties in the pro- proposed Kansas-Nebraska Heritage Area Partnership has passed a resolution to get out of it and to not be in it. <laughs> Maybe maybe we should start at the beginning (laughs) because you and I are totally on the same page, but people listening are like, what are they talking about? All right. So you've been a freedom fighter, freedom for the boundaries of federal designations. In this case, just one of the examples is called the National Heritage Area, which not a single person I talked to in Tennessee with two events knew that their entire state was a National Heritage Area. What is a National Heritage Area? And why do we care that 43 out of 49 counties in Kansas have issued resolutions to say, not here? Well, at the beginning, this started way back in the 1970s and 80s when when the Sagebrush Rebellion was going on and people were tired of seeing grandmas and grandpas dragged out of their houses having heart attacks so that the National Park Service could grow more land. So they came up with a National Heritage Area to partner with nonprofits. The bad thing about nonprofits is... You don't have to drop a freedom of information request on them. So they, you have to take them to court to get any information and very few people mm-hmm. do that. So anything that the government wants to do out of the spotlight of the American people, they can do it through a partnership. So they partnered with, uh, nonprofits to create national heritage areas. And that's a federal boundary that's voted on by Congress. And once that is established, you kind of got this. So all of them. All of them have to do land management plans that fall under the National Park Service. However, they are, their management boards are private entities or those nonprofits, and those tend to be more special interest type groups. So you have a level of um, intrusion. You have ones like Freedom's Frontier here in Kansas that was established in 2006. Most of their money goes to Douglas County and around Lawrence, Kansas. So they use... 40 other counties, because there's 41 counties total in that one, they use them to plead for money from the federal and state government that they then spend mostly in Douglas County. That's all about money. But a lot of it is about land preservation and protecting view sheds, or what I call preservation for recreation. It's a growth of the National Park Service just through partnerships, basically. There's a... um, New law coming out, SB 1942, and it's a House version. I forget the number, 13-something or other. Mm -hmm. Um, And it asks for all National Heritage Areas to fall directly under the Department of Interior. I think they're getting a little upset about those boards using this as a personal finance for their special interest um, projects. So they would like direct access to those boards so that they can implement those management plans better. That's bad news. So on the surface, Angel, you and I have been in meetings. You continue to have meetings uh, educating people 
not only at the county commission level, but it, at the consumer level, at the uh, land ownership level, that this is a designation that uh, comes with strings, and many people don't see the strings. What perplexes me is the number of people that say, look, this is a heritage area designation. We're proud of our heritage. We want to celebrate it. We want to put that out there on the forefront. And you've been fighting this as long as anybody. And I read a piece that I think you shared from Tom DeWeese uh, just recently in the last couple of days. This has been going on since 1984, and there's not one single success story in the entire program that says it's going to benefit you somehow that the government's designated you as a heritage area, opening up you to greater tourism. Who in their right mind thinks that the government's going to do something that's going to benefit the local community? That's never happened before. Why, why would it happen now? People who want money. I mean, if, if, if there's money involved, you can, you know, it's, it's selling you that story of, um, too good to be true. There's an awful lot of people that will still buy those too good to be true stories. You're right. Not one of these have been a benefit. Um, most of, actually, all of them have a sunset clause of 15 years, and they're supposed to be self-sustainable within 15 years. Not one ever has been. 30 of them are coming up before Congress this year asking for renewal because they have expired or are expiring and failed to become self-sustainable. Not one has grown the population. Not one is preserved tourism. One of the things that I keep saying to commissioners is, is I'm here at Worlds of Fun. I can actually testify to this today because I brought my grandkids up here. There's a line. And some of those bigger rides, we have to stand in that line for 45 minutes. I have never had to stand in line to a museum, ever. Not once. <laughs> it is not. I, you know, I do not know where they get the billions and billions of dollars that heritage tourism brings. It does not. It comes into special interest groups. We're seeing, for example, in Douglas County, that they are buying up conservation easements and they're protecting land. Remember, that's the other thing about mm-hmm. national heritage areas is, is they don't acquire property. Well, they do give money to those other nonprofits who then buy conservation easements but they're not responsible for it, right? They're not because they gave it to the money and what that money to that group and what they do with it is their business, except they then claim that they have donated to charities that other nonprofits have given that they post on their Facebook page. So it's a, it's a bunch of behind the scenes shady spending all to make themselves look good and to hide what they are actually doing. Like I said, those folks in Tennessee, they may be okay. The, the um, National Heritage Area that they're in may be just using all that money to do special interest projects for special interest groups, but it's not going to stay that way forever, especially if this legislation goes through and the Department of Interior gets their hands on, on these boards and start starts dictating to them that they have to follow these management plans. And these management plans are frightening them. Best way my husband describes it is five to nine ways they tell you how they're going to preserve and conserve land. Mm-hmm. And and it's I, all of these things where it's 30 by 30, whether it's National Heritage Area or it's like my case here in Lyon County with the zoning. All of these are built on the idea that farmers do not know what they're doing with their land. And that's a lie. If you're starting your conversation with we have to preserve and we have to conserve, then you are starting that conversation with a lie. The farmer do it. Well, we, we've had this discussion with people, and they don't seem to get it either. 
Um, okay, so to be clear, 30 by 30 is the brainchild of January the 27th. Actually, it's the brainchild of the United Nations. It was put into play January 27th by Biden. And the National Heritage Area dates back to, as we said, you said the 70s. It actually began in, with Reagan in 84. It's pretty clear to me, Angel, that any place that has a designation that the government can latch on to, you are first. You are ripe for the picking to be a part of the 30 by 30, which means you're going to return to the natural state in the name of climate protection. I, I don't see how I don't see how people can't see that. I don't know. Um, the Antiquities Act of 1906 with National Heritage Areas scares me the most because when this when these National Heritage Areas go before Congress, Congress votes on this boundary. So they are mm-hmm. creating federal jurisdiction over a huge chunk of land, which is exactly what the Antiquities Act of 1906 is based on. So they haven't used it yet, but golly, with something like 30 by 30 sitting over the top, that's the way I would go. You know, you have the Department of Interior. If, if you were a if you were a tyrant and a dictator, if I were a tyrant, that is exactly <laughs> the direction I would go. Well, it's easy picking. Anybody who's got a conservation easement, anybody who's part of a national heritage area, I, there is no ex- explanation other than to say you're first. One of the things that frustrates me the most is is everybody that tells me national heritage areas have nothing to do with thirty by thirty. You know what? WOTUS has nothing to do with thirty by thirty. Floodplain expansion has nothing to do with 30 by 30, yet it's all marching in that same direction. It's very interesting that the language in our planning here in Lyon County that was written by cricket farmers out in Portland, Oregon, is exactly the same as these management plans in national heritage areas, which look an awful lot like WOTUS language and floodplain management language. It's all, you know, my husband being retired military, he says it's kind of like the military. You've got you've got the tank crew over here, you got the cavalry over there, you got the infantry over there, but they're all marching to the same orders. But so doesn't matter what department is being used, it's all marching in that same direction. For anybody that does not believe waters of the US is part of 30 by 30, then explain to me why it says water in the 30 by 30 language. That's a very good point. Very yeah. good point. We need to take a break. Protect the Harvest is on the front lines, bringing these issues to the forefront and generating solutions as often as possible. Sometimes it's just about networking and bringing more awareness and putting some daylight under the situation. It's exactly what we're doing here. Protecttheharvest.com to get more details about what you need sunlight under or where you might need to get some sunlight. Protecttheharvest.com. Preserving the American way. We'll be back with more Angel Cushing after this. Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Loose, alongside Angel Cushing on a red shirt Friday. Uh, I don't mind telling you we recorded this on Tuesday, planning for my weekend. I'll just leave it at that. Um, Angel, you just said something you had to have misspoken. Nobody in Lyon County, Kansas, the greater Flint Hills of Kansas, would have some cricket farmer in Oregon design a land use plan. You didn't mean to say that. True. Very, very true. It happened. We had um, uh, Urban Collaborative, an architect group out of Portland, Oregon, designed our architectural um, planning and zoning regulations. And the uh, the lead architect on that has a company on the side called Craft Crickets, and they believe that livestock are ruining the earth. And the best way to protect the earth is to um, 
raise bugs because bugs are the protein of the future. So we're, we're doing a little bit better. So incrementally, we've kind of fought that back a little bit. But what we have is still awful. And we're continuing to fight that back incrementally. We have right now I have city commissioners that have a say and a voice on my farm on agricultural land. So jurisdiction-wise, I am not in their district or their jurisdiction. I will never be able to go vote for one of those representatives, yet they sit on the planning commission that decides what's going to happen on my farmland. This happens to be an issue that we're going to be bringing up, hopefully, in the uh, in the Kansas hearing. Kansas did call a hearing on 30 by 30 and property rights. But we've been asking everybody to contact their Kansas legislatures to make sure that national heritage areas and all the tools, conservation easements, zoning regulations, all the tools that are used to grab land is part of that conversation if Kansas is really serious about passing some laws that uh, will protect farmers from these, from these regulations. The other thing that we're doing is Freedom's Frontier National Heritage Area. We now have one county that has asked to get out of Freedom's Frontier National Heritage Area. Really? That's, that's a big deal. Thing. That's a big deal. There are 30 of these national heritage areas that are up for um, renewal. That means they expire unless Congress passes that law. Mm -hmm. So if there are counties out there that want out of these national heritage areas, now is the time to pass a resolution asking Congress to get out of the, well, the national heritage area. You and I both know what happened was this came along. It seems it seems benign. It's no big deal. Yeah, we'll take a national heritage area. There might be a few dollars that come along with it. Nobody really dug in and explained it until you come along and said, "Hey, here's what's at risk if you sign up for this government program or this government designation." Which means now you have to work for the Park Service. Nobody knows. They hide it. It's a secret. Not one landowner is ever notified that they are entering into a national heritage area. They start lobbying. Congress and their state representatives and commissioners years before they ever ask Congress to do a feasibility study or do a um, a uh, non or apply for a nonprofit. And mm -hmm. nobody knows usually until after the National Heritage Area goes in. Well, that's one of Tom one of the things Tom DeWeese says in a lot of his um, articles. They've asked Congress from the very beginning notify people. That's what I would like to do. You know, if you want a historical area, a national heritage area over your little square in town, God bless you. Go for it if that's what you want to do. But it should be treated like a homeowners association because that that national heritage area comes with a regulating management plan for every person who's bought into that or is currently there, whether that's a business owner or a homeowner, they deserve to know what it is that they're getting involved in. And that's that's a common sense thing to do. I mean, that's definitely a law that Kansas should consider. Um, and that kind of comes back to the whole, why so many counties? We get that a lot. Why? Well, you know, this is good. We're just networking on tourism. No, you're not. You're grabbing land. So as networking and tourism, you'd be using the state tourism dollars that are already there. This is all about land. For the special interest group that um, gets all the money for this, this is a way to get money. So they can go to the state of Kansas and say, look, we have 41 counties. We have to split the money up for 41 counties. So could you give in as much as you can? And so the state does, thinking that it's going to 41 counties, and it's not. It's going to the special interest group, and 
In the case of Freedom's Frontier, that's mostly in Douglas County, Kansas, with mostly Lawrence County or Lawrence, the city of Lawrence. So, so these are, um, special interest groups that are held underneath, underneath the radar. You know, a lot of times they talk about the feasibility study. Well, well, we determine if people want this in the feasibility study. There again, no, they don't. Just like our line county planning and zoning here, they set those meetings at 10 o'clock. They said it was a, um, a survey for parks or a survey for housing, something along that line. They invite their friends, you know, make sure they get a good turnout of their friends. And then that's how they get these things through. The um, most interesting thing are the planning boards right now. These planning boards are not elected. They are not appointed by your county commissioners. So to get on a planning or a board for a national heritage area, you have to be a friend of somebody that's in that national heritage area who invites you in, and then the rest of the board votes on this. These are birds of a feather that tend to flock together that are in there now. And as bad as that sounds, here comes this federal legislation asking for the Department of Interior direct control over those management boards. So now, now those guys don't seem so bad, these special interest groups with the Department of Interior and National Park Service looming over the head. The other lie that they tell you is that it's grassroots initiated. And they tell Congress this. They, uh, when they start petitioning and lobbying Congress, they tell them that this is grassroots led. That too is a lie. That is so not true. We have the freedom of information request on Kansas Nebraska Heritage Area Partnership. This looks to be like a college professor from UNL and a National Park Service employee in Beatrice, Nebraska that went then to downtown Beatrice and tried to come up with a way to create tourism for Beatrice. And this is the result of that. This is National Park Service and a college top down. I, I, I don't even understand the logic behind that. There is no logic, Angel, because if you wanted to create a, a, a designation to attract people to come to Beatrice, Nebraska, why would you encompass 36,000 square miles in the project? That dilutes what you tried to what, that dilutes what you're trying to accomplish anyway. Their their goal the whole time was bigger than just trying to help Beatrice, Nebraska. It's this professor who assigned this project to these students and then used the students as the guinea pigs to say, oh, well, they, this is what they kind of hypothesize, their hypothesis on what could be done. No, it's what you indoctrinated them in to try to accomplish. Oh, yeah, well, and that's how it gets sold. So this Kansas-Nebraska Heritage Area's partnership was sold that it came from Red Cloud, and Red Cloud wanted to know how to expand the Willa Cather Foundation, and these students came up with this idea for a national heritage area. But like I said, those freedom of information requests say totally, totally different. And then um, they actually got these kids to sign a letter of memorandum with the National Park Service. That's a partnership there. So right. No, this was... This conversation was started by a National Park employee in Beatrice and a University of Nebraska um, professor. Guess what that professor specializes in? Uh, land grab. Yeah, architecture. <laughs> architecture. Oh, yeah. Architecting the next land grab for the U.S. government. That's what we're talking yep. about. Planning and zoning. So it's um, one of the but, things that she says well, is that um, she doesn't understand why – People don't embrace the, the plans that she comes up with. She does, just doesn't understand that. Well, because it encroaches upon my property rights. It's pretty simple. Yep. It, yep. it, it all comes back 
to that statement that Eric Freyfogel made in North Platte, Nebraska in 2002. He said, and he's a, a Chicago attorney teaches at Chicago Law School, he said that land ownership by individuals was morally problematic and a lousy idea. That's what this all comes back to. Yes, absolutely. It's given other people the right to fish on my lake. And you know what you just said? I have one minute in this segment that I had never even given consideration to. But how many people have purchased property in uh, an NHA without knowing it? More, probably all of them. All of them. All and of them. What's, what's worse is that for the majority of the people who sold the land, they didn't know they were selling land that had a, a federal designation that went along with it. Nope. I'm wondering mm-hmm. if there isn't some accountability that we could stem up from that. I don't know. That would be... It would be nice, especially those areas that, um, so once, once they, uh, once they do start regulating, they, mm-hmm. they, prim- they primarily use regional councils or commissions, or they c- go directly to your commissioner and try to get your commissioner to adopt their management plans. And they, when they do that, it's all about protecting the view shed, the uh, wide open spaces and protecting the view. So that's when they start knocking on your door and saying, Hey, you know, you need to clean your place up. Your windows are bad. You know, this doesn't this doesn't go right. And God your forbid, horse is too thin. Your goat's your got too many thin. horns. Yep. Whatever the case yep. may be, your well, cattle's beef is too tender. I have to go to a break. That's me trying to roll into a break, Angel. Just yep, yep. Just be patient. She's so excited and so much fun to converse with because we're on the same side, not if you're on the other side. Certified Piedmontese creating the opportunity for the cattleman to tap into a proper payment for the structure of the cattle and the beef quality of beef that's produced. Get a $180 premium for a 600-pound calf. That's per head. Details above your normal price. Details at LoneCreekCattleCo.com. Find Marlon Will, second half of a Red Shirt Friday roll route after this. Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Luce alongside Angel Cushing joining us from, she's at Worlds of Fun today, standing in line with grandkids. What could be more fun than that? It's, um, it is awesome. Yes. <laughs> I'm a hero in their eyes. So, although I think I've ridden the train one too many times. I'm, I'm done yeah. with the train. Yeah. Oh. Are there a lot of people there? You said their lines Probably. are 45 minutes long, but there must be a huge crowd. Crowd, you know, we came this week hoping that we would catch the um, folks getting ready to go back to school, and we're in the middle of the week hoping for a little bit more, more room. Nope, it's pretty crowded. And everybody thought, you know, we'll go in the middle of the week so we catch everybody before they go back to school. <laughs> yeah, you're thinking like everybody else, Angel. Yep, probably so. But it's very crowded. Weekends are even more crowded. Um, and guess what? Very few people are wearing a mask. Yeah, we're going to have a mask burning party, but I'll have more about that later. Um, <laughs> so 43 of 49, are the, is that your number? Yep, 43 of 49 counties passed resolutions in opposition to one in Coffee County. We've presented to um, commissioners in a couple other counties in Freedom's Frontier. We've got a meeting coming up on July 25th down at the Fort Scott Livestock Sale. So we'll... Try to keep informing the public of what's going on. Did you say on. August 25th? I'm so sorry, August 25th. I said July. I keep saying July. I want mm-hmm. it to be July. I'm not ready for winter. Just not. I, I, I'm ready for winter. <laughs> you don't even know what winter is in Lyon County, Kansas. 
Yes, we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's the meeting at Fort Scott again? Fort Scott Livestock, August 25th? August 25th at 6.30 p.m. at the Fort Scott Livestock Market. So it's a sale barn. And it's about uh, eight, uh, just the uh, designation area? No, it's National. the Freedom Frontier National Heritage Area, 30 by 30. And I'm going to tell them all about how they tried to ban barbed wire fences in Lyon County, Kansas. This is what did, happens when you don't pay attention. Did they ban barbed wire fences? They almost. Thanks to me, they didn't. And well, okay. and I'm not just me. Not just me. There's a whole bunch of us that fought that back. Yeah. Well, there was a guy named Tom there. Uh, so well, yes, and lots of people. You know, in the middle of these hearings, that's the thing that people need to consider. There is no time limit or no um, end date on zoning regulations. But don't you know they have these hearings mandated by Kansas law? Right before each of these hearings, they had a new mask mandate or a size restriction. Oh, you're kidding me. And we still had over 100 people show up at these hearings saying we do not want these these uh, zoning regulations and these plans. Not one person outside of a government employee wants these regulations. And we voiced it. And they still, that money is so tight and so tempting that they still ended up passing it anyway. They did pull back and and it hasn't completely. So the next step for us to completely join is to join those zoning boards. And they haven't done that. They stopped before then uh, because of the outcry of the public. So as much as I say me, I was not alone in that fight. So you are the one who shed light on something for me from a, uh, one of the stimulus packages. I think it was the last one before this infrastructure passage the, uh, this week. Um, that uh, the first one was called the CARES Act, right? The CARES mm-hmm. Act had a whole pile of money that county and uh, city municipalities could tap into as grants. And so what I saw, thanks to your enlightenment, was that so much of this is not about getting more money to the people. But, but getting money to government entities, even on a local basis, so that they can grow the government entity instead of allowing the power to get back to the people. How has that transpired since you brought that to my awareness earlier this year? Oh, it's still going on. It's still going on. And it's it like, accelerating? Um, I, no, I don't know that it was accelerating. I think it's staying steady because we have a county attorney or a state attorney general that um, is kind of looking the other way and letting all of this go. And our county is not the only county that's doing it. But um, we are noticing that the businesses that are owned by the city of Emporia commissioners, they're doing quite well. They're doing they're getting great stimulus money. Everybody else, you know, just depends on what is the side of the political aisle you kind of fall on. So, so Are you suggesting a- that even local government has the haves and the have-nots attitude? Yes, absolutely. It doesn't sound like you're suggesting that. You're just point blank sharing that. Yeah, that's pretty. You know, if the the state attorney general decided to look into that, I'm sure he had several cases there. So with your uh, now knowledge and experience in the past, how long have you been fighting this? Three years? Two years. Two years, yeah. Two years this month. What... um, What's the outlook for across the board 
Obviously, if you've got that many counties making a resolution, people are becoming aware. People are becoming aware. Um, Our congressional representatives are absent. They are not saying they'll vote for this congressional stuff, but they're not saying that they'll vote against it. Uh, Even though they don't have the grassroots that's required by National Park Service and by Congress, even though they have all this opposition against them, like Big Sky in Montana, they are marching on because they hope to get swept up in this umbrella legislation that's going before Congress, that's going to fund these NHAs indefinitely and put them directly under the Department of Interior. So they don't care what the people think. And so as we continue on, it's also, I need people. I mean, as much as everybody gives me credit, it, it isn't, Congress isn't listening to me. I mean, they need to listen to all of us. People it needs need to be a to thousand people show up. Yes, they need to hear from their people to know that their vote is or their next election is at stake if they continue to support these programs. That's really what it's going to take. There's so few of us that are really speaking up that are getting anything done that it's been a very long, hard battle. And honestly, I don't think that that. Um, I, if everybody says you're winning, you know, I don't feel it. I don't think it because it's still marching on. This this NHA is still going to be before Congress. They're still trying to grab more. And they're, we still have these ridiculous regulations sitting over us in Lyon County, Kansas. So I don't feel like I have won anything yet I, until they're back down and they pack up and they go home. I haven't won. Until they do that, I'm going to keep going on because I'm not going to just sit there and let somebody take it. And there are others being inspired by the activity that you have led. I have a friend in um, Cascade County, Montana, that is running, currently just announced that she is running for county commissioner of Cascade County because of a National Heritage Area designation that's being proposed there and has been proposed for quite some time. So while you maybe don't see it, other people are being inspired by the activity that you're leading. Well, thank you. May they continue to be inspired. Please inspire more. Get as many people up there as possible. A lot of people ask me, what can I do to help you? I'm not, I'm not a commander. I'm not a general. Um, You do what you want based on your time and and what you can give towards that cause that you're willing to fight for. You don't need my permission. You don't have to run it by me first. Do it. Just, just get out there and do it. Call your Mm -hmm. congressman. Well, frankly, if you start showing up at those county commissioner meetings, the job at hand will display itself if you're paying attention. Well, I bring the regulations. I literally print off all the NEPA regulations, the Historical Preservation Act. I print it all off and I bring it down. It's really hard to not understand what's going on when it's printed and staring at you right in front of you. It's a stack that's about this big when I bring that in and set that down in front of commissioners. But by then, most of the people that live within their districts have already reached out to them and already asked what do they know about it, and they started to do a little bit of homework. The biggest problem is, is because of our friends on social media that run Google and all those programs, if you were to put in National Heritage Area in your normal search engine of the Google, you're going to find wonderful Park Service lines about how it's a new way to to preserve tourism so you have to you have to really do some research in order to find what you're looking for or have somebody show it to you 
it comes back to my term, critical thinking. You as a citizen of your county and your state need to be a critical thinker and say, does this make sense for the big picture? If not, then what are you going to do about it? Right. Well, and I think there's also that that uh, that realization that you're the gatekeeper. Mm-hmm. That especially those county and city commissioners, they literally are the gatekeepers. The sheriff, too. They're the gatekeepers of everything. They are the first and, and foremost. I mean, they're not just security guard. They're the entire army sitting over that base that has to protect it from the whole outside world. And I don't think a lot of them realize that when they take that position until we say you're the gatekeeper. Well, our message was loud and clear on the Arise USA tour, and we had as many sheriffs as possible. The sheriff, the county sheriff, is the last line of defense for the citizens of the county. I don't understand how anyone could be a pro-federal government and then take a job with like a county level commissioner or a sheriff. I mean, if, you, if you're that much pro-government, why not just go work for the federal government? I mean, why would you take a job um, as a sheriff if you're not pro-constitution, if you don't know that you're the gatekeeper? And, and the reason I ask that is because I've run into them. I know that they're out there and I don't understand why they're in that job if they don't want to be the gatekeeper. Do you have well, any idea why? Money? I yeah. said, oh, well, no, you can't be money because they don't get paid much. Um, the the best way to destroy an apple is to decay it from the inside. True. Very true. Because I, I can tell you this. I also know that every endeavor that at, at some point when it ends, uh, I can name examples, but half of the people involved in the endeavor are plants working at either gathering data or trying to create poison from within the system. So I think the people you're describing are the ones who are trying to create poison from within and promote that decay. That's quite possible. I can tell you that um, the the uh, trainer of, of all of that decay is the American Planning Association. So if you're going to get an army of zoning administrators to help yeah. you write up you know, an architect to help you write up these management plans, you're going to get them through the American Planning Association. So, yeah, I can definitely see how that does. And then they, what I don't understand is how, what's that relationship with the colleges? We know that there's there. You know, I have not found one national heritage area that is not working with the university. The one that I got um, informed of a couple of weeks ago down in Florida, which looks to have started about the same time that this Kansas-Nebraska Heritage Area Partnership did, also is working with the university. Why are they working with colleges? What is that? What is that? How does that happen? Is the National Park Service guy call up the local professor and say, hey, I need you out here? Where, where do they meet? What, what entity brings them together? We will address that with Angel Cushing. When we come back, I want to remind you about certified Piedmontese. Get details at LoneCreekCalico.com. Last segment after this. Welcome back. Roll route. Trent Lewis alongside Angel, Angel Cushing. We are into the final segment. And I am going to theorize with the knowledge that I have. All right. So what does every college and university in this country struggle for? Money. Right. And what gets flowing into these designations every single time? Money. So wouldn't it make sense that the college is somehow 
figured out that they can tap into an additional pool of money to help fund whatever it is they want to do. Instead of running their college like a business and charging these kids out the yin-yang for an education, it's not even an education, it's an indoctrination. So it's kind of a twofold thing for them. Number one, I think they can tap into a public-private partnership in ways of financing their continuing indoctrination. And number two, it just falls in the line with the people that have accumulated in all of these universities that they don't believe in property rights, they don't believe in individual entrepreneurship, they believe in communism, they believe in socialism, and they believe in the, the common good for everybody instead of teaching exceptionalism and individualism. I think it's, it's, it's a perfect marriage because the two philosophies are exactly the same. It's quite possible. It's, it's quite possible. I would have never have thought to call a university for a diabolical plan. Well, maybe I would have, I guess. Yeah, especially if you need students to go trampling around on private property to take pictures. That's the other thing that we tell people to watch for is um, there, you know, this feasibility study, as much as they say that this is to determine whether or not an NHA is wanted, it's actually mm-hmm. what they have to submit to Congress to prove that it is wanted. And by that time, they've already gathered up all of the pictures and all of the property that they are going to put in there as assets. You can have your property designated as a National Historic Site without you even knowing about it. It may not actually get designated without you, um, depending on the state and what type of office that you have in. But there are people, especially out in Colorado, that have had their sites designated. They didn't know until after the NHA was coming up or they went to go put in, I think, uh, I think it was a water line. It's right. that uh, they went to go put in and discovered that they had had a designation over them. That's all scary stuff. Well, historical designations is, is, I mean, you can't find the lumber that was used back in that day. And now you got to go spend a whole bunch of money to get a, a $30,000 worth of lumber for your $20,000 house. It's just nuts. So I can't. Yeah. Uh- if it was a $20,000 house in March, it's now a $40,000 house just for lumber. True. Very true. Isn't that sad to see all that burn up out in California? It's just, it is. Uh, it, it's lack of management. That's what I keep talking about. This. So they want to win it. The, the housing studies are the most revealing. If you can find the housing studies. And when I say you can find is I found a couple and I pulled them off. But the minute they know you're looking for them, they'll pull them off. Or you're going to have to drop a freedom of information to request to get them. What I found from the housing studies is the whole entire plain states, they want to move that from agriculture and industry to tourism and energy production. That's in the housing study. So when I say they, I mean the writers of that housing study, whoever, usually economic development or whatever entity has put that together. That's what they have planned for the entire area of the Great Plains, which makes no sense to me. If you pull people out of the Great Plains, do you know what happens? Mm-hmm. You grow cedar trees. And I don't know if people realize uh, that. That's like the most I mean, it, it's one little match they can blow in that direction. They go up like that. Oh, yeah. There will be no trees again because fire will be the uh, Mother Nature tool like it was. <laughs> uh, it, it's actually just reliving the whole concept 
Frank and Deborah Popper come out with this concept of Buffalo Commons, where they thought they would just come out and sell the fact that the Great Plains would depopulate itself and let the bison roam. And they couldn't believe people actually wanted to fight for this place that feeds the world. And so what they've done 40 years later is retooled the plan and decided to take it one heritage area, one 30 by 30 designation uh, at a time instead of just accomplishing it all at once. That's why it's taking place in Montana. It's making its way all the way down the Great Plains of America, but it's pretty clear that's the overall agenda. Yes. we I call it preservation for recreation. Whether you call it a national heritage area, whether it's 30 by 30 plans, WOTUS, floodplain, it's all mm-hmm. working in the same goal, and that endangered is preservation species. for recreation. Endangered, endangered species, species, same thing. Yep. All of it. It's preservation for recreation based on the lie that farmers are ruining the planet. Whatever, however they can sell it, whatever method that can be used will be used to preserve land for recreation. And the only way to get it is to convince everybody that farmers are ruining it one way or the other. So um, you mentioned that there was recreation and, and fuel or energy. I mentioned this to you earlier this spring. But in March, I accidentally had lunch at the uh, North Dakota Lignite Energy Council uh, meeting where there were BLM employees there, Bureau of Land Management employees. And they were asking me about the drilling taking place in south central Nebraska, north central Kansas. I said, where are you talking about? And they described an area that they knew there were some rare earth minerals that were being mined and they had been doing some exploratory work to find out exactly where those seams were. And so they were asking me what I knew about it. And it was strange because at the time you and I were talking and we were holding some meetings and I was like, this is the same exact area that they're 36,000 square miles trying to designate as a national heritage area where these guys are talking about drilling and doing exploratory work for these rare earth minerals. Has anything developed along those lines, Angel, since you and I last talked? If they have, they've been incredibly secretive and, and haven't talked. Honestly, I've been um, concentrating so much on this National Heritage Area, I don't know. I know that the National Heritage Area is working with a, um, um, oh, I, care, I forget what it's called, Limestone Rock, Post Rock, something like that. It's another nonprofit that um, is also looking into that same area for their own reasons you know, the most interesting thing about all of these is, is that they share board, board members. That post-rock one that I just mentioned shares board members with the National Heritage Area, which shares board members with other entities that are all marching in the same direction. These are birds of a feather that tend to flock together. You can throw Rancho Land Trust of Kansas in there, too, mm-hmm. and look at the areas that they they like to concentrate on. So it depends. So down here in the Flint Hills, we notice that conservation easements are being bought up incredibly, especially around Fort Riley. And if you look at the Flint Hills Regional Management Plan, they talk about how they need to protect the ground, but they never tell you what the threat is. Who's ruining the ground? What, who's, who's, what is that threat that needs to be protected from? But they tell you that they need to do that so that the military can do their job. Why do they need to do that down by Oklahoma? I mean, the Flint Hills goes all the way from Nebraska, all the way down into Oklahoma, yet they are concentrating on conservation easements all through that strip of the Flint Hills. And that that doesn't have a lot of water underneath of it. That doesn't have a lot of um, minerals under there that I know of. 
So I don't know. I mean, every little entity has their own motivation and their own reason as to why they're marching in step with these programs. I just don't like the program. So I'm not sure what their motive is. I just don't like the program, whatever it is. Still the most frustrating part of this whole project is the reluctance of ag groups to say this is a land grab, that this is something we need to be alarmed by. In fact, I had a conversation with the lobbyist for a national ag group just last week while I was in Tennessee, and his words were to me, well, you know, when it comes to national heritage areas and 30 by 30, we want to step back and just see. We don't think they're going to do anything outside of federal land currently. I'm like, are you are you paying attention? Are you napping in the middle of the day or what's going on here? Because this is a blatant land grab. And yet yeah. the ag groups are reluctant to call it that. And I think at the end of the day, it's because they're afraid that they're going to lose a little bit of stipend money that's going into a grant program. And that's called extortion. Yeah. Ag groups yeah, are falling fun. prey to being extorted. And you're a yeah. member of those organizations. I'm not talking about you, Angel, but I'm talking about in general. Our, our listeners are members. Yep. Yeah, that's incredibly frustrating. Um, incredibly frustrating. I don't um, understand it at all. I see it at the legislative level as well. There's a lot of legislators that have been endorsed by these regulations, and those are the ones that have pushed us off to the side for the longest and in telling us that we're exaggerating and this is not a concern. Meanwhile, they tried to ban barbed wire fences here in Lyon County. Come on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This, you can't, you can't tell me this is not a concern. So yeah, I don't, I think that there's a, a personal, um, motive for, for that position. I do. Oh, and it, I want them to go away. You know, just if, if you cannot pretend to be, um, an agricultural representative and not represent agriculture, period, you think you need to step back if, if they're in that position. And what's more important at the end of the day than property rights, that I can use my property as I see fit. And we've been incrementally allowing that to erode for so long. My favorite example is I can't get a deck on my pat, or I can't put a deck on my porch without a permit. That's ridiculous. Why do I need yeah. a permit? Uh, one minute, Angel, what's your profound bits of wisdom today for people who may want resources or want to know to how to tap into the, the right information to go make a difference in their own county commissioner meeting? Well, they actually want to do some good homework out there that is not on the Internet. We have a Facebook page called Western Western Property Rights Coalition, I do believe it's called. If you find that, it's got all the freedom of information documents and everything on there. Or reach out to me. I'm, I'm everywhere on the Internet. If you Google my name, it'll pop up with my address and phone number. And call me, and I'll be happy to talk to you. Tom DeWeese's organization, he's also um, been working with a lot of people on these national heritage areas. Call Congress. Tell them not to support the Department of Interior's over, you know, this new legislation that's out. Uh, Whatever you can, talk to your commissioners. Let them know that they are the gatekeepers and to pass a resolution. What I tell commissioners is, nope, it might not work. It might go through anyway, but at the very least, that resolution is a witness in a court of law on behalf of a landowner. Give How many? That, go ahead. I was going to say, give them that ammunition, protection at minimum. How many? How many landowners out there want to be employees for the federal government and the National Park Service? That's the question of the day. Amen. Because that, that's what we're talking about. 
I'm going to call the park ranger to ask him. You know, people have been making fun of Hank Bogler talking about his range con and getting permission to graze his grass properly. If you're in a park area designated by the, the senator, the uh, Congress, you're going to have to get the same permission on how to graze your own property. It doesn't make yep. any sense. Or put up a barbed wire fence. Always the champion, Angel Cushing. Thanks for joining me on this Red Shirt Friday. Hope I see you soon. Thank you. We have a journey down the road connecting rural and urban America. We both remind you that all roads do lead to a rural route.